Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, of thy Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. God's given us another glorious, beautiful day to come together as His people and worship Him. Amen? Amen. Glad to have my Amen Corner back, Brother Steve. Steve, when when you're going to be gone, you need to have someone agree to fill in for you. Uh, It's very, very helpful. I kind of was out of my rhythm last week. Need me there. But... um, Today, as we gather, we are, we are reminded, last week, Brother Steve, we, we had a very unusual psalm. It was a psalm written by David uh, that was supposed to pray for the king of Israel. So he's writing a prayer about how to pray for him. And uh, we talked about that. And, and in fact, I'm going to read for you today Psalm 20 as our call to worship, um, being the fact that we use a psalm every week for our call to worship, and we're preaching about the psalms um, we have a, we're going to be really enjoying the Psalms for a long time. I'm having a great time doing it. But as we listen to Psalm 20 here, as our call to worship today, remember that David asked for them to pray for him. And that that's what we should do. We should pray for the people that God gives us in our lives, who God has put there uh, to lead us, uh, to be an example to us, and to rule us. Amen? Amen. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice. Grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. We will rejoice in thy salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Now know that I, the Lord, saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, and let the king hear us when we call. Let us pray. Lord, we know that we are in desperate need of you. We know that we are uh, rife with sin, Lord, that it permeates every part of our being. Even here as we stand 
before you with our best hearts and minds put forward, Lord, yet still the wretchedness of sin lingers in us. We pray today that you would continue to cleanse us. Lord, we know we've been forgiven of our sins, but we want to be cleansed from them. Wash us today and we will be clean. Lord, we pray that as you speak your word to us, Lord, that you will change us, that you will conform us into the image of the Son of God. Lord, that we would learn to walk and talk and love and forgive as he forgave. Lord, we pray today, Lord, that we are, as we come here hungry, that you would feed us, for we long for spiritual food. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, My sermon today is called Prayer of My King. Prayer of My King. Psalm 21, 1 through 4. I'm going to preach through the entire psalm, but I'm just going to read this, these first four verses to begin. <clears throat> the king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. Thou hast given him his heart's desire. And hast not withholding their requests of his lips. For thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness. And setteth a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked life of thee. And thou gave it at him. Even length of days forever and ever. Let us pray. Lord you answer our prayers. You're able to do it. And you do it. Lord, we come before you today listening to this psalm and hearing the words that David sang to you. And we hear in it not only his words, but the words of another king. May we today, as we listen and as we walk through it, may we hear the prayer of our king. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You might remember my sermon from last week. God saved the king. Everybody say, God saved the king. God saved if we remember, God had David uh, write a song of prayer to Israel where he was having them say to God, God saved the king. And we sort of joked around a little bit about what it might be like if us fathers or elders or leaders wrote prayers for people to pray for us. Lord, save my dad. Lord, bless my dad. Lord, maybe he a good dad. Lord, have, help him to have length of days and long life and joy. And what a joy it would be to hear those that we love, that God has given us, pray for us. We talked about asking for prayer, even telling people what to pray for us. And we talked about God-given authority. Psalm 20 is a wonderful and instructive psalm, and it was encouraging to me to be reminded how we will behave differently toward those people that we pray for. If you remember a little catchphrase that kind of came to me was, when we pray, we will obey. If you are out there and you're praying for your father and saying, Lord, help him to be a good leader of our home and help him to lead me well, because I know your word has told me to honor him, make him honorable. If you're praying that prayer for your dad... 
You might just treat your dad a little bit different. If you're praying that way for your elders or your leaders, or if you're praying that way for your mother, you're going to treat your mother differently. All the people God has given us in our lives, God has called us to pray for them. Now, Psalm 20 and 21 are uh, not at first, not if I probably didn't point this out to you, uh, but they are an obvious pair for those who are studying the Psalms. It's easy to see why God and the organizers place them side by side because that's what they're meant to be. Psalm 20 is a prayer for the king. And Psalm 21 is the king's response prayer saying, everything you just prayed for me has come true. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. Psalm 20, Lord, give the king joy. Lord, give the king what he desires. Lord, do this for the king. And Psalm 21 is, you've given it to me. Thank you for giving it to me. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for, and that's what it is. Psalm 20 and 21 are paired together. He has prayed and God has answered his prayers. Putting the two together, it is a wonderful reminder that when we call, God answers. Say that with me. When we call, God answers. Now, it may seem like an obvious point, but I would be doing us a great disservice today not to remind us that we are alone in the world when it comes to this. We are alone in serving a living God. He alone hears the prayers of his people. It's not as though there are some other gods out there that are just lesser, that hear but maybe can't. No, there's, there are no other gods. They're not, they're not hearing any prayers. Amen? When we pray, we do have a God who hears us, but they do not. No matter how high they build the walls of their temples, no matter how many of them flock and, and together and they walk to walk by a sacred rock in a coliseum out there in the Middle East, or how many steps they build to a pagoda up on a mountaintop. Their gods do not hear them because there are no gods. They may jump up and down and cut themselves and sing till they lose their voices. They may even give their bodies to be burned. But there is nothing in their imaginations and no one who is listening to them and certainly nothing that's going to give them an answer. But people of God... Our God answers our prayers again again. And just like my son said in his prayer, he answers them so much that we lose track of how many prayers that he's answered. If you started a journal from the time you were little and you wrote down, ask God for this and God gave me this. If you did that, each of you would have a book that you could deliver to your children when you died. A book of prayers and answers prayers and answers but we don't do it we don't even write it down we don't even think about it in my time uh, working on this book I'm, I'm writing these things down and I'm thinking to myself what would happen if just we wrote the testimony of what God has done in our life what would we do that's what's really inspiring me to write something down not so people can be impressed with it but that it is a testimony of what God has done The Bible says that we will overcome our enemy with the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. And when we speak and when we testify, and yeah, I know we don't do that here in the church service like we did growing up in my church. I know people don't stand up and 
tell the stories of what God has done for you? I kind of wish we could. kind of wish we did. I think we just forget. It's almost like we almost believe our own faith is a fairy tale. It's not. We serve a living God. I wrote this week. You know what I thought about doing, Steve? I wrote this week the account of what happened in Pastor Nang's village. I wrote that this week. And I wrote about the miracle of the little girl being risen from the dead. And I'm reading, and I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just read what I wrote. I've been working on it for hours upon hours. I probably spent 20 hours working on that one story. And I wrote it, and I like what it is. I, I think I captured that story. And I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm talk, I talk, I call, I've called Pastor Ng like every day. What about this? What about this? What about this? What, did I remember this right? Let me tell you what I, let me tell you what I said. Let me tell, you know. And we go through this, and he goes, Pastor Ma. He goes, I love it that you're working on this book. He, because it makes me remember the things that God has done in my life. It makes me remember and want to know more and to say, what has God done? What has he wrought in my life? And I was thinking if we would all take the time to remember the many times that we have agonized in prayer with God and God has answered our prayers, what a different life we would live. But we don't. You and I are so accustomed to his answers that you can hardly remember them. But people of God, our heavens are not brass, holding him in and holding him at a distance. He is here and he is not silent. He still speaks and if we are looking and listening, we will hear his voice. Psalm 20, ask God to hear the prayers of the king and 21 follows with a sure, clear answer that God heard that prayer. I'll start with from verse 1 and do the little introduction to the chief musician a psalm of david once again here psalm 21 we see this psalm is a psalm of david one of his 75 attributed psalms half of the book of psalms a song given to the head choir master for public worship folks if there's anything appropriate for public worship it ought to be do you know god answered my prayer do you know what i asked for and do you know what god did for me Do you know what we prayed would happen? And do you know what happened? Folks, I'm telling you, it's happening all around us. It's happening in our lives. They're not always dramatic stories. Sometimes they happen and we just smile. You ever have these little things happen to you? You uttered something that you wanted from the Lord and you're just like, you you know, it wasn't like you agonized and and prayed and laid and cried. You just sort sort of made a request under your breath. Wouldn't it be nice if, and then, oh, wow. How many have had this happen to you like a hundred times, you know, hundreds of, you just, you, there it is, Jason. You're just, you know, you're like, wow. Okay. Well, there you go. I mean, this has happened to me over and over and over and over again. And if there was anything appropriate for public worship, it would be the reminder that he daily loads us with blessings. He opens up the windows of heaven. He pours upon us blessings that we can't contain. And I'll tell you what, you know what most of our problems are? It's just trying to figure out what to do with all these blessings, all this freedom and all this time and all these resources and all this goodness. I mean, uh, in fact, it kind of frees us up so much so that we just want more of it. Like a trumpet blast, the psalm begins with a verse exploding in thanksgiving. David is called and the God of heaven 
has answered. He cried out and God heard his voice. Weeping and lamentations came forth in darkness, but morning has broken. Before I get into the next verse, I'm going to have to share with you a little bit of the story that I did not know that I learned about Pastor Nang. Well, I don't even know if I can. So let, let me try quickly to, to just tell you. I, I didn't realize that when, they, when their family moved to this place to defy the devil, that they lived there for five years estranged from their village. I didn't know this. I thought they went down there and they cut this tree down and, and this miraculous event happened in their lives. And then they were there at Satan's place for a little while and then they came to the village. But that's not really how, they were there for five years. And do you know what happened for four of those years? It's so, it's so painful. Here this man who had become a Christian who saw the miraculous raising of his daughter from dead He's like, you know what, now that I'm a Christian and now that, I'm, you know, now that I even have this new land, now that I'm somebody, you know what, I really need some sons. And his wife had had four daughters. Well, his wife had had uh, two daughters. And I say four because at Satan's place, she gives birth to twin baby girls. But when she does, he's not happy because he wants sons. Sons to work his farm. Sons to preach the gospel. He wants to do good things. And so in this fervor for sons, he disrespects his wife. He does worse than that, Tim. He puts her out of his house in Satan's place in the jungle where there are leopards and tigers. And he makes her build her own little thing and live in it. And she lives in it for four years. Sleeping alone at night in the jungle. Calling out to God. It's a horrible thing. But when she told the story, she told it with sadness and joy because do you know what came from that? She prayed, God, give me a son. And at the end of that, Pastor Nang Tong was born. And if you want to be around a woman who's proud of something, you should be around Da Tong when she's around her son. She looks at him. She says, look, God gave this boy to me. And he changed my life. And instead of becoming bitter against her husband and against God for sleeping alone in a shack in the jungle near death every night in terror for four years, she gave thanks for the birth of her son. And you know what God gave her after that? Another son and another son and another son and another son. And her sons have taken care of her. And she has had a place of honor And she's been cared for for all those years. But that was a defining moment in her life when she cried out to God. When God answered her prayer. You know, when the baby was born, she knew he was going to be a boy. The dad didn't. And all the guilt of what he had done to her came upon him even then. And he realized what he had done was wrong. Kind of a neat story. Verse 1. The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. In Psalm 20, there was prayer. Give the king joy in the salvation. And you know what he's got? He's got it. This is the prayer of the king. He's not just a man. He is God's anointed. He is not merely one of the powers that set 
with the sword in his hand to punish evildoers. He's not just a Philistine king. He's not just any old king. He's the king of God's elect, his chosen people. He's brave and strong and he's proved it with his sling and his sword. But that is not the source of his confidence or the well of his salvation. He has learned through many trials not to lean upon the arm of flesh and especially his own. You know, when we begin to trust in ourselves, you know what God will do to us? He will be faithful. Right? Brother Andy read it for us today. What does God do to those he loves? He chastens them. He disciplines them. He shows his displeasure. He brings judgment upon them. That's what he does when we sin, when we live ungodly. That's what he does. And David had known it. He had lived in sin. He had done wrong. But yet again and again, God had saved him and God had loved him. It was in his Lord Jehovah that he would trust and not be afraid. It was in him and him, the king, he would sing and hope like Isaiah would declare from an overflowing soul upon the dry grounds of a rebelling nation. Behold, God is my salvation. Not me. Not my arm. Not my sling that I killed Goliath with. Not his sword that I picked up and cut his head off with. No. God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. You may hear it as a poem, but I'm telling you, this poem is, a, is something he's confessing that he believes. I'm not strong. I'm not anybody. It's the Lord Jehovah who's my strength. He's not only my strength. You guys like my songs. He, he's my song. He's become my salvation, therefore with joy shall you draw waters out of the wells of salvation. And in that day you shall say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted, sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent sayings. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. That's one of my favorite uh, chapters of the Bible. I memorized it when I was a boy. And at times of great rejoicing, I've quoted it over and over, I've sang it, I've, I've declared it, and I've pounded my fists down and said, that's it, that's, that's the truth. In Psalm 20, verses 1 through 2, they had prayed that, the, that, the, that God would hear David, quote, in the day of trouble, that the name of the God of Jacob would defend thee. They had asked God to, quote, send him help from the sanctuary and strengthen him out of Zion. And God had answered that prayer. Here's David's reply in verse 2 of Psalm 21. Thou hast given him his heart's desire, and thou hast not withholden the request of his lips. Here we have the king singing of God's answers prayer. Here in verse 2 of Psalm 21, we see the direct answer of the psalm in response from the prayer. They had prayed in Psalm 20 verse 4 that God would, quote, grant David according to to his own heart, to fulfill his desires and his counsel. David, speaking of himself, says this is exactly what God had done for him, even to the point of saying that God had not withheld anything from him that he asked for. Now, in these words, though, you start to see something happen in the psalm. And I want to be very careful how I say this, because every word of God is true. Amen? But David begins to say things that are not true, in a sense, okay? Has God answered every prayer of David? 
Did God give David everything he ever asked for? No, he hasn't. Were there times? We know it. How many times in the Bible is it recorded where David prayed for things and he didn't get them? It's written right down there. He's praying now. So David in these words, he can, he's, what is happening, and we're going to see this, is that he's going to enter into, from his own voice, and he's going to move into the voice of the prophetic. He's going to begin, this song is not his song. It's the song of a king, all right, but it's not King David. That's why my sermon is called The Prayer of My King. Is David my king? David's not my, is he your king? No. He was Israel's king. They could say that, but not you and not me. We have a king. And we have a king whose prayers have been answered. And whose prayers are always answered. Amen? And many times in the Psalms of David, you will see David saying things of himself that are not really about himself. Who are they about? They're about another king. Another king that's coming. Well, you'll see this and just you'll see a little bit more of this here. Even to the point of saying God had not withheld anything from him. In these words, we begin to see David prophesy and seeing not merely of himself, but another king. Of course, there would come a, a day when there would be a king whose prayers that were all granted would come. Perhaps David was right, technically saying in this song and at this very time that what he had prayed for, God had given him all of it. He'd given everything that he asked. There are times we've done that, right? You ever prayed a prayer and God has just answered completely what you asked? Absolutely. And in this moment, David is right in what he's saying. So he's not wrong, but you'll see where we're going to go with this here in a minute. God had not withheld all that he wanted at the time. Because that certainly could be true even of us and when we ask God for things. But God doesn't always give us what we ask for. God is wiser than we are. The Bible says his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. They're past finding out. And I think that there are times we should be thankful that we have not gotten what we have asked God for. We know of times in the life of David, specifically, for instance, the time he prayed for God to spare the baby. Born to Bathsheba after they were married. Remember the baby is dying and David cries out to God and begs and pleads for the life of the baby. And does the baby live? The baby does not. Psalm 21 is not merely the prayer of the king of Israel. It is the prophetic king, the king of kings, the Messiah, the Christ, who at that time was generations from coming forth. But still yet he was in David's loins. He was someone that would come from David. And so in this, David's prayer is true. It is right. But in one sense, someone could say that it's not. Because you'll see what else he prays here too. So this is where we begin to see the prayer of my king, the king of glory. A prayer of our Lord. Verse 3. Once again, what you'll hear in verse 3 is something that can be attributed to King David and to Jesus. Both. For thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness and settest a crown of pure gold upon his head. Now, when I read that, Andy, I'm thinking thou prevent. I mean, you know, you're preventing my blessings. That doesn't sound very good. That's not what the word means. Once again, the King James language is letting us down here. The word here, preventest, it's not a word we use. Maybe it was more familiar to the people at the time, uh, you know, where the, the, in the 1600s when, when this was translated. But basically this word means that he greets us. 
with blessings. So not only is God good to us, but he greets us with blessings. You know, kind of like when some of you, you see someone and you, you're like, hey, brother, and your arms open wide and, and you say, oh, don't give me a handshake. Come here and hug me. Come here, right? Oh, man, brother, it's so good to see you. Oh, I've missed you. That's, that's being greeted with blessings. That's a, isn't that how you like to be greeted when you see people who love you? You like, it to be, you like them to know that, that you're important to them and that they love you and that they're noticing you. And, and he's saying, God greets me with blessings. He daily had loaded David with blessings, poured out upon him the blessings from heaven, shaken down, shaken together, running over. And we know, of course, he placed upon his head a crown. We know David became the king of Israel and wore a crown. David, once bejeweled and golden crown, though, would be lost. Do anybody know where King David's crown is today? No. But the crown and the head of Christ and even those placed on our heads in eternity, (laughs) they're going to last forever. None of them will be lost as we cast them at his feet, as we greet our king. With the blessing. When we see Christ and we are like, (laughs) Oh Lord, you're good. Your mercy endures forever. You loved us with an everlasting love. Lord, today now we see through that darkened glass no more. We see you face to face. And what we thought was wondrous and wonderful in your face, now we know so much more of what it is. That day is going to come when we stand before our King. Amen? As I get older, I look more and more forward to that day. In verse 4, this is where David goes straight off of something that there's no way on earth that he can claim for himself. Verse 4, he asked, he's saying, The king asked for life of thee, and thou gave it to him, even length of days forever and ever. Now, of course, in eternity... I'm sure King David there, I don't, I'm sure he can't really hear us or hear me preaching about him today. He might be uh, protesting. I've got life everlasting forever and ever. That's what I got. Sure he does. Can't wait to meet him. But as he says, he asked for life and you gave it to him even length of days forever and ever. David would die. The boys and I went to the tomb of David on Zion. And I, I tried every way in the world just to get a peek at the, you know, the sarcophagus. You know, there were, there were all of these Jewish people in there and they were praying. And it was, it was kind of like we were in the, try, interrupting a church service almost, and, which I think goes on 24 hours a day over there. And they're just in there and they're, they're doing this and they're all around. And David is back there somewhere. And I'm like, you know, and, and there's an entrance for the gr- women over here. And, and there's an entrance for men. And I'm like, I got to at least see it. I, gotta, I can't. I just want. I mean, it's not like it'll even matter. But, but you know, I'm just going to see the outside of some white sepulcher thing. But like, and then I couldn't get a good look. And so I'm like, well, you know what? They can arrest me if they want. I'm going to the women's side. I'm going to see if I can see it. And I go, and they're like, oh, no, you can't go in there. And I'm like, I got to see it. You know, and I'm like, holding my cell phone out around the corner, you know, you know, and it'll be great. It'll be great to, to meet David, but I'll tell you right now, David's face isn't the one I want to see. It's not the one he died. 
The Bible tells us that at a point when he was old, he became so cold that he just couldn't get warm. You guys, did you read the story of David? Nothing they could do could warm him up. And eventually he fade into the sleep of death and his bones were gathered together. And maybe they're on Zion in that sarcophagus or maybe they're not. But they're certainly, he certainly died. Our King Jesus, he was taken at the hands of his enemies and killed. But even death, especially in death, he was victorious. Kings had defeated other kings in battle countless times in history. Others had taken to the field of battle and vanquished their foes. But only one king could boast victory over the grim reaper himself. Only one could say he asked life. This king asked life of the old Lord and you gave it to me. Even length of days forever and ever. There's only one of those. Amen. Only his throne would stand forever and never come to an end. It seems these next few verses qualify more for the prophetic prayer to be made by Jesus himself than any temporal king. Verse 5, his glory is great in thy salvation. Honor and majesty hast thou laid upon him. David was honored indeed and God did share his glory with him for David's glory was that he was a man after God's own heart and that he loved the law more than life itself. In verse 6, he says, Thou hast made him to be the most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. David was by far the greatest king of Israel. He was most blessed of men at, in that. But we know there was one who was even more blessed. And that was the king, Jesus, who had come. It is the face of Christ that we will long to see. In verse 7, David expresses the same sentiment Verse 7, for the king trusts in the Lord and through his mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. David understood it was only the mercy of God that his kingdom would stand, his battles would be won. He knew that he had sinned according to the law and deserved to die. But what did God do? He saved him again and again. Any battle that he was in, when he was in the battle with those Philistine relatives of the giant, if he had been killed in that day, it wouldn't have been a horrible thing. But God said, no, 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 I'm going to make sure David dies in his palace. No enemy will stand over him. No one will vanquish him. I will receive him to myself. He's not going to die on some battlefield by the hand of some filthy, uncircumcised Philistine. That's what he did. Because Jesus said, that's going to be my job. I'm going to let him take me. And strip me and dishonor me and mock me and kill me. Because when they do this, what is going to happen to them is going to change the world. This is something we should all be mindful today as we gather together in the presence of a holy God. God's mercy has played the central role in our lives. If we knew this... And if we know this, then why is it that we show little mercy to others? We do so mercilessly hold the sins of our brothers and sisters over their heads like the man Jesus told us about whose debt was forgiven. You won't really need a whole lot of explanation. I'll just read it for you from Matthew 18. Because this came to mind, David understood mercy was at the center of his life. 
He was merciful to people. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times, maybe? Jesus said, no. How about 70 times seven? Therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants? And when he had begun to reckon, one of them was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had nothing to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, his wife, his children, and all that he had, so payment could be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will repay you all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and he loosed him and he forgave him a debt. He forgave him all the debt. But the same man went out and he found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. Not a hundred talents, which would be a lot. He had owed 10,000 talents. But a hundred pence, which is just a little teeny tiny bit of money. He went out and found this man who owed him a hundred pence and he laid his hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me. But he would not. And he went and he cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Folks, Jesus is telling this story for us. He's forgiven us. Why do we not forgive others? He's Forgiven our debt, which was we could never pay. And these little things that people do to us, we hold on to. And we hold them over their heads. And we cast them in the prison of our own unforgiveness. So when the fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. They came and told the Lord all that was done. The Lord, after he had called him, said, Oh, you wicked man, I forgave you all of your debt. That you ask me, could you not even have compassion, even as I had pity on you to this man? The Lord was angry. He delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due. And so look, likewise, Jesus said this, likewise, my heavenly father will do to you if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brothers that trespass. Do you have trouble forgiving people? You hold on to your heart. Is it hard for you to come into this place? Because there are people here who you can't forgive. God have mercy on you. The Bible says if you cannot forgive the sins of others, your sins cannot be forgiven. I beg you today to let people go. Let them off. They deserve punishment, but not as much as you. David went on in verse 8. He said, you know, the hand, thine hand, O Lord, shall find all of my enemies. And thy right hand shall find those that hate me. You see, David understood even his enemies deserved his pity. You know why? Because God was going to deal with them. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I shall repay. We will leave repayment even for the sins of our enemies to God. Verse 9, thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in the time of thine anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath and the fire shall devour them. This is their end and it should have been ours. Amen?
The, their fruit shall thou destroy from the earth, and thy seed from the children of men. God will see that people are rewarded according to their deeds, right? You know, as I was writing this and I was saying, God will reward them according to their deeds. You know what it reminded me of? What we say every week. God has not dealt with us according to our sins. He has not rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. Right? That's what He's done. Why can we not do for others what was done for us? For they have intended evil against thee. They imagine mischievous devices which they are not even able to perform. They boast in themselves. They think they're going to draw you down, Lord. They think they're going to build a a, a tower to heaven to reach up and grab you or to be able to shoot you with a sword with and you laugh at them, God. Their power is nothing. I know this. But then why are you so worried about their power? Like us. They, like us, are proud, but they will be humbled. James, remind us how God will deal with us. We know how he's going to deal with them, right? He tells us how he's going to deal with us too, James chapter 4. But God gives more grace. How many want to be on the receiving end? Like we get grace, right? We're saved by grace. We know our salvation depends on grace, that we're going to go to heaven with grace. How many would like a little bit more grace, like in your life right now? I would. How many of you would say, hey, heaven is good enough, Elaine. Heaven's good enough. You know what? If God smites me, if he destroys me, if all my kids run and do it, that's fine. I get to go to heaven. Is that really what you want? Or do you want to say, no, I want more grace. I want grace to live this life. I want grace to love my, my husband and my children and the people around me to forgive my dad. I want that grace, Lord. I'm not going to hold my dad's sins against me. I'm not going to hold my uncles or my brothers or my cousins or my husband's sins against him. No. I'm telling you, a life lived like that is a life of beauty and freedom. Jesus invites us to it by, by Andrea, by taking the sins that we've done and just, they're done. It should make it easy for us to do what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath. He says he gives more grace, but God resists the proud. What are the proud? But those like this man who went and the man who owed him a hundred pence held it over his head. God resists the proud. How many of you want God to resist you? Uh Uh-uh. I don't want him to resist me. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You want more grace, you will get it through humility. Submit Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and... He will draw nigh to you, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. If you found that you're this way, if you found that you've been unforgiving, it's time to bring humility and repentance in your life or God will humble you. First Peter 4 reminds us that judgment begins where? The house of the Lord. 
First Peter 4. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin with us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel? If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing. Paul even adds to Peter's admonition in 1 Corinthians 11 where he says, in verse 31, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. How many of you would like to just go ahead and judge yourself? Hold yourself responsible for your sins and not the sins of others and humble yourself and forgive them. How many would rather do that or do you want to wait for God to do it to you? Verse 32, when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. David ends Psalm Twenty-one with this, be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength. So will we sing and praise thy power. David had the children of Israel pray for him. And then David sang a song saying, God has heard me. He has done these things for me. He has been merciful to me. He has been kind to me. He has given me joy. He has heard my prayers. And today I think we would be... Uh, of great benefit today if we could remember that he's answered our prayers and that when people pray when people come to us when they beg and plead with us when we know they need our forgiveness then we would offer it to them and if there's no if if, if you don't have any other reason to do it you should do it for yourself because God will deal with you if you don't this is what God's word teaches I thought this week actually I was going to preach on all of the reasons why we aren't like David and why David's prayers were answered. There's a whole list in the New Testament and why your prayers aren't heard. There's just a long list. Your brother has something against you, but you don't do anything about it. You're unkind to your wife. You're at odds with your husband. There's a whole list. It says, you know, your prayers will be hindered if you don't do this, if you don't make this right. Do you know God doesn't want your sacrifice if you don't do this? Do you know God, you know, there's this whole list. It's a long one. So Psalm 20 is a prayer to God that God would hear the prayer. Psalm 21, he was answered. If you don't have answered prayers in your life, you may want to, you may want to look into why you don't have them. I know it's not a real up note to end the sermon on today, but you know, my job isn't to come in here and uh, lift you up where you shouldn't be. We need to look the word of God square in the face. And as we read Psalm 21, we see the rejoicings of a king whose prayers were answered. And if we can have that kind of confidence, our prayers can be answered too. The Bible says we should ask in faith, nothing wavering. He that wavereth is like the... uh, See, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. So we're talking about answered prayers, but there's plenty in the, in the Bible to explain to you why your prayers don't get answered when you pray. And so as a point of application, as we close our service and we think of Psalm 21, it may sound, you know, if you read Psalm 21 all by itself, at the end you're like, rah, 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 rah. But maybe what we need to hear today and maybe what we need to remember today is that our prayers get answered. Because we, we aren't Jesus. 
All of his prayers get answered. All of his intercessions work. But ours don't. And a lot of them don't. Because of our behavior and our unwillingness to forgive. And so we might want to consider that today. I think before we even come to the communion table today, we should be reminded of this very thing. Because Paul did it. When Paul is teaching on teaching the Corinthians about it, he's saying you need to examine yourselves before you come because you may be drinking sickness. You may even be bringing death upon yourself. This is what God's word admonishes us to do today. And so let us consider it as we go to prayer. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for answering David's prayers. Lord, we thank you for being the king whose prayers are always answered. Lord, you ever live to make intercession for us. And for that reason, we know those intercedings work. We know that our sacrifices, as David prayed for in Psalm 20, his sacrifices would be accepted. We know all of yours are accepted, Lord. And so we don't worry about that. But what we do worry about is if we are like this man, this man who's been forgiven much, but won't forgive little. I pray today that we would love you, that we would love your word, that we would hear its admonitions, and that we would heed them. And Lord God, we could come as we come to this table here in a few moments and we pick up that bread, we would remember that this bread can be a blessing and it can be a judgment to us. And Lord, I pray that it would be a blessing for all who partake today, that we would love and forgive and we would not hold things against people but that we would freely forgive them as we have been forgiven. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.